0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, brought to you by Savage Arms. Now, we all know Savage makes some awesome rifles, but did you know they've recently released a new shotgun called the Renegade. Now, there's a lot of awesome things about this shotgun, like its ergonomic, well-balanced design, its patented stock pad that knocks down recoil, and something that these guys are very proud of, proud of called their DRIVE gas system, D-R-I-V. And what that stands for is Dual Regulating Inline Valve Gas System. And what this is is it basically allows the shotgun to shoot Three-inch magnums or two and three-quarter-inch cartridges, all with the same consistency. If you want to find out more about the new shotgun, the Renegade from Savage Arms, visit savagearms.com/renegade. What's up everybody, this is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast and my name is Dan Johnson and I am the host and it is brought to you by Vortex Optics. Today we're going to be talking all about budgeting for your hunting gear and equipment and today we're going to be talking with TJ Doherty and TJ is going to talk to us a little bit about how he budgets for his hunting gear, he he kind of weighs it right what he finds important for example he finds trail camera information much more valuable than let's say a a specific bow or a uh, clothing so he's willing to pay more money for a trail camera than he would otherwise for uh, let's say some safety gear or some high-end camo equipment. And then we talk about products that he wants to skimp on and then other products that he does not want to skimp on. And I I throw my two cents in there as well. So uh, if you are a penny pincher or if you're looking for ways to budget uh, so you can get more hunting gear for maybe a little bit less of a price, he throws ideas out there as well. But before we get to this podcast, we got to talk about Vortex Optics and vortex is doing something really cool right now they are giving a huge discount to first line responders and i believe it's like firemen and who else police officers and medical professionals who are in the front lines of the covid 19 battle and uh if you want to find out more about this big offer that these guys are uh, doing, especially if you're a nurse or if you're a doctor or if you work in the ER in some way, shape, or form, I, I believe that this this uh, offer is extended to you uh, along with any other first responders. So uh, go to vortexoptics.com, check out their offer, and to take advantage of it because I believe it's like 40% off. 40%. That's a huge discount for the average working Joe. So take that into consideration. Plus they have prime optics, dude. Uh, you're not going to find um, any other optics, any other company who is not only doing this, but a participant in the, the culture that they sell their products in. So uh, go check out vortexoptics.com. And now let's get into today's podcast with TJ Doherty. All right, on the phone with me now, Mr. T.J. Doherty. How you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing today? Can't complain. Uh, before we started recording, you mentioned that uh, your your wife took the kid from you, and now you have, I'm, uh, I have all your attention.
1: Yes, sir. Yeah, we got a beautiful, beautiful seven-month-old baby, little baby girl, and uh
0: my wife just got home from work, so
1: I'm all ears.
0: Uh, I, I And I told you this already, but I wish I could get rid of my kids for a little bit <laughs> every day. Yeah. I remember when I had one seven month old, and it was basically I look back on at it, and it was there was some frustrating times, but my daughter, my firstborn, she slept through the night. Every like mm-hmm. she didn't she didn't wake up most most nights she we'd put her to bed at eight o'clock and she'd wake up at like seven o'clock in the morning right uh 11 hours of sleep and she would take one nap most most one maybe two naps a day at that time really good now it's like a riot in my house the entire day and uh my my youngest one he's he's two now but he he very rarely sleeps so about afternoon time he goes through what we like to call the dr Jekyll and mr Hyde phase of Hell his yeah. day which is just him going bananas and fighting trying to fight the older kids and like wanting to feed and it's nuts man it's nuts your is your daughter difficult or does she sleep all the way through the night
1: no to be honest she's been a great baby um, she sleeps through the night oh every once in a while she'll get fussy um, but she does really well she'll sleep eight nine in the morning and uh, she does a really good job my wife and I both yes we don't go to bed real early I mean we might be odd but we we aren't really getting to bed until 10 30 11 o'clock just with how my work schedule is and when I get home and when we actually eat dinner yeah to where uh, she's really not going to bed until 10 30 11 but sleeps all the way through the night and uh it's been very very good baby' don't That's have good. Bad
0: to knock on wood dude Knock on wood. Yeah, because the game yeah. will change if you decide to have any more. Yeah,
1: yeah, I'm sure in the future here we'll or we'll have a second or
0: or two or three. How old are you?
1: I am 27.
0: 27. Okay, and what do you do for a living?
1: I am actually a car salesman. I oh. work at a Honda dealership in Eastern Iowa.
0: Oh, and e- I didn't know that. Where? Yeah. Where Where do you live in Eastern Iowa? I work Iowa?
1: in West Burlington.
0: West I work Burlington. in West
1: Burlington. Yep, live in Macomb.
0: Okay. I was oh so, so you work in Iowa, but you live in Illinois.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I drive an hour back roads both ways every day.
0: I ah, uh, I like how you threw in back roads there. Uh yeah. and I think we know why, right?
1: Yeah, I get to uh, see plenty of scenery. Yeah. The the fall is usually entertaining.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I uh I grew up in Mount Pleasant, which is an hour. Well, not an hour, like forty minutes west of that. Yet, so I'm sure you. Yep. I'm sure you know where that's at. And I live an hour north of that now, uh, north of Iowa City. So I didn't real for some reason I didn't catch that you were an Iowa guy.
1: Yeah, you know, I spend uh, 55, 60 hours a week in Iowa. I'll be honest, I I don't do a whole lot in Iowa other than go to work and come home. I with, uh crazy work is and obviously having a baby and stuff at home I don't really do a whole lot outside of work
0: yeah I yeah uh, I spend a lot of time in Iowa which which is crazy because I would have thought that you guys are you guys trying to move to Iowa
1: you know if uh if I could get my wife to, to cross the river <laughs> I wouldn't be opposed to it
0: I like how uh, your voice changed there just for a second She she must be close by
1: She's upstairs. Okay. I don't know if she's <laughs> gonna hear me, but uh, she she knows the way I feel though, and and she, to be honest, she doesn't like Illinois either. It's just close to her family, or closer to her family.
0: I gotcha. Yeah, dude, you got to hop that river and get residency here, then you can hunt the glory, you know, the glory hole every year.
1: Yeah, I you know I watch I watch thousands of hours of video and listen to podcasts and everybody on that side of the river and. It would be a dream for sure, and I'm sure my family wouldn't mind because they got to drive either way. But uh, it's a work in progress. I don't know in the future we might be able to get on that side of the river. Nice. With how crazy politics and everything are in Illinois. Yeah. Um, I I could see it happening at some point. Yeah. It's just her just getting over it.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And being okay driving to grandma
0: and grandpa's. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. Um, so let me ask you this, car salesman. Um, you know do you my my father-in-law still is in that old school stage where you used to go in and uh haggle for prices right mm-hmm. and i think a lot of that's changed since you know the 80s or the, even the 90s since the invention of the internet right where yeah. a guy would yeah. come into a uh, a car shop and be like well uh I don't know if I could do it for that price, but uh, you take uh, five grand off it and I'm walking out of here with it. You know, like there's no more, is there, yep. is there any of that kind of talk still going on? You know, I think it, for one, it depends on the manufacturing, depends
1: on the brand um, in terms of what kind of markup they have on vehicles. Yeah. Um, if you're shopping new cars, used cars, I think there's always still a little room, but in general things have things have changed the internet runs everything nowadays yeah it takes you five minutes to price check something to where um unless you're competitive on price nobody's ever going to show up or or call or email or nothing
0: right i would
1: agree with you that it's definitely a whole different world than what it used to
0: be and it was kind of funny because because my uh Oh god, I don't know if it was my father-in-law or somebody else, but uh the, you know, I was there with them and we were looking at my wife's vehicle. I think it was my father-in-law. And they and my wife wanted him to come because my wife thought he was such a, you know, he was so good at I mean, he knows a lot about cars, he knows a lot about vehicles and you know, he was under the impression that what he was before the internet able to do to price vehicles would still work today. And I was like, "Listen, man, all you have to do is go onto the internet and type in a vehicle and it you know and your zip code basically it'll show you all those vehicles for sale around the area and their prices and if i can do that that means the dealerships are doing this and they're going to try to be as competitive as possible with their pricing so to avoid a guy coming in and having to say well you knocked you know knock off uh, 5 grand and and I'll walk out of here with it you know those those type of situations yeah and it was awkward because I, I the guy. Always... it was awkward because the guy was like uh, I'm sorry but we don't do it like that anymore
1: <laughs> yeah it's that's no joke though I always think it's it's kind of funny when somebody comes in that maybe hasn't bought a car in 15 years they've been driving a Toyota Corolla or something they got 15 years ago and and that's exactly the mindset they think and a lot of it now is just educating the customers, and and sometimes I'll even pull up my phone and go open up CarGurus or whatever, and type it in and show them and just say, "Hey, look, we we're we're in the ballpark." Yeah. Uh, there's not necessarily this, like you said, two, three, four thousand dollars of asking price difference to work with anymore. Yeah. And it it always takes a little bit of just pers- persuasion and educating, but once people spend five minutes online, they figure it out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know. Card buying a car is always so stressful, right? Do you, uh, let me yep. ask you this before we start getting into the, the hunting, the hunting talk and stuff like that. Do you have any, any tips or tricks for buying a vehicle?
1: Um, well, I think there's a whole bunch that goes into it, man, but I would always tell people new or used, no matter what you're shopping, I would recommend, Doing your research online, getting at least a decent idea of what you're looking for, what size, make, model, brand, um, features are important to you. Try to do as much as you can sitting on on your computer because nowadays you can do just about all of it anyways. But obviously at the end of the day, it all comes down to money.
0: Yeah,
1: I recommend if I got family and friends, I tell them, hey, check with your local credit union have them see what they can do for you. So you always got that in the back pocket. If you show up to a dealership and they got some promotional rates, well, that's great. You just go ahead and do that. But you always want to know what you can do at your local place. Yeah. Because a lot of times they can be more competitive, especially if you've got history with them. Um, but that would be that would be one uh, one tip I would always say. Gotcha. And then just just trying to use those apps and stuff to, to find the right vehicle for you gotcha it's really simple you can i've looked at all of them i think CarGurus is the best um, in my opinion but just go on there plug in everything you're looking for and they're going to show you whether it's a good deal fair deal or bad deal
0: gotcha uh, cool beans man. Well, cool all right so the reason i reached out to you was because i i was kind of uh browsing through Instagram, looking for some, you know, people I might want to have on the podcast. And, and I found your, your, uh, Instagram feed page and the name of it. What, what is it? The budget hunter? Yep. The budget hunter, The, the budget hunter. So, and it got kind of got me curious and I reached out to you and I asked you, you know, about, about what, what you're all about. So talk to me about what the budget hunter is all about.
1: Yeah. So, I'll kind of, I'll kind of jump back just a little bit and give a little history where I'm coming from and kind of what's happened over time. And uh, so I was raised in southeast Wisconsin, in a big family. My dad worked, mom stayed home. We raised show cattle and show pigs, and spent all of our time at home working on the farm. And if we ever wanted to do something on our own, uh, it was your own dime. You got to go out and get a side job or do whatever make your money and do what you want. So that's really what it stemmed from was if I wanted gear or wanted stuff, um, I had to make some cash mowing lawns or doing whatever and then go out and purchase that on my own. Um, so that's really it all. where it all started from. My family, my dad's side of the family has got a big family, and deer hunting fall was just always a family event. Uh, where I grew up is a lot of swamp ground and big timbers, and we did all deer drives, so it was all pushing deer. And uh, bow hunting, especially just stand hunting, I really wasn't raised in a whole lot. I kind of had to teach myself, and it was all trial and error. So um, I did a lot of hunting when I was younger, and I was actually born with a heart condition. So I couldn't play football, couldn't play contact sports, but I worked on the farm and a uh, deer hunted. And really kind of taught myself from scratch. My dad bow hunted some when he was younger, but I, I kind of had to do it on my own and had to do it on a budget. Um, didn't have daddy's money to, to do what I wanted or or uh, didn't have just gobs of money coming through to, to get things. So I always just found good deals on things, always looked at sales. I would clip newspapers, or not newspapers, but advertisements, and, and just try to find gear that I could get at a decent price that, that would work. And over time, you find out if things are going to work or not, obviously. yeah. So now now to where I'm at now. When I was in college, I went to Blackhawk East and Western, WIU, Western Illinois University. was fortunate enough to meet a very wonderful lady while I was at Western, so we've obviously settled down, and I live in Western Iowa now or Western Illinois, I apologize, and uh, really started from scratch again. I kind of lost hunting while I was in college. I was just too busy chasing girls, or going to class, or having too many bush lattes. uh, (laughs) That'll get you. Home, yeah, and home was four hours away, so it wasn't that I could just run home and and bow hunt, and, or jump in a stand and do that, so once I got out of college I kind of got a good schedule or at least a steady schedule and uh, wanted to get back into it again again I kind of was starting from scratch didn't have nothing besides my old Hoyt laser tech that I got when I was 14 15 and uh, a handful of jackets and boots and that was about it Um, didn't buy nothing new and so this would have been 2016 2017 I really started back kind of grinding into it and uh, my wife and I are both very frugal people we don't spend money we don't do a whole lot Um, we do like to go on at least one or two nice vacations throughout the year Um, but when when it comes to daily spending we just we don't do it Uh, very rare that we buy new clothes or new shoes or stuff like that because we're always putting money putting money aside to, to better our, our future. Um, not that obviously you want to live for today and, and enjoy everything, but I can do it all, everything I want right now and still pinch pennies. Yeah. And, uh, my wife and I lived in a townhouse condo for about four years and uh, I was able to shoot my bow just in the backyard and started networking and just talking to people and, and meeting people and with my job, even though it's an hour away from home, I do meet a lot of customers that are from the Macomb area, or the western Illinois area, and would just kind of, if they were kind of a country, rural-ish family, I would somehow, in the topic, during the buying process, there's a lot of downtime, so you can just BS about anything. Well, I'd always just throw out there that I'm a bow hunter, I enjoy doing it, and I've been able to acquire several properties without signing leases or paying anything. It's just out of the kindness of people's hearts and, and me explaining that I'm not out here to kill everything or destroy your property or or uh, do something crazy. I just enjoy being out in the woods. And 9 out of 10 people are, are cool with it as long as you explain it to them, what you're, what you're wanting to do. Right. So from that end of things, I've, I've had the opportunity to hand – hunt a handful of really nice properties around this area
0: so i i I take it that because you are a in in your profession alone you have to know how to mm -hmm. communicate with people right car salesmen right stereo uh, a stereotypical car salesman is is a is a slick talker right i mean that's just a stereotype not saying that you are but you know they got to know how to uh, talk they got to know how to sell and you know i i i've met other Salesman per se, not necessarily a car salesman, but a seed salesman or a uh, implement dealer or, you know, other guys in a farming type community sales position that said the exact same thing as you, that they they don't necessarily have the money for a lease, but what they do have is a a good networking, uh, great connections. And then they just use their, their sales personality to ask permission. And that saves them money right there.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think the biggest thing is it it all it all goes back to just like situational awareness, being able to read the person. Mm-hmm. Um, if they if they throw out an an f bomb at the end of the sentence, well, you know, you can maybe sneak one in there. Yeah, if they want to drink or they want to talk about their favorite whiskey. Well, I'll talk about that. It's just being able to read read somebody and communicate with them and just get on the same level. And uh, it makes conversation a heck of a lot better than too when you can actually talk about stuff (laughs) that you like amongst each other. Yeah. Yeah. But that's just been one way I've I've found to find properties and not everybody's got a sales job and I'm not saying you have to do that to find property, but just knocking on doors too. I've done Mm -hmm. it a lot and uh, every once in a while you get somebody that's cool with it and you end up just building that relationship.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So what about, what about um, knocking on doors and Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people and I've talked, we talk about this every once in a while on this podcast, but it's something that I'm really good at. I can go and I can bullshit with anybody, but um, Mm -hmm. just like you said, reading those social cues, reading the body language, reading how they answer questions, you know, is it short? Is it long? Are they talkers? Are they just trying to get you away from them? All that stuff. Was it hard for you at first to, knock on somebody's door and basically interrupt their day and then try to ask them for something that they had.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely. It's like you said, you're, you're interrupting somebody's day and I don't know. I always try to toss in there. Hey, I'm not here to take up a whole lot of your time. I just got something I'd like to talk, talk about with you real quick. Yeah. And within the first two or three sentence sentences, you're going to, you're going to get a feel for the person, like you said, whether they just want you to get out so they can finish dinner, or if they're at least intrigued and wouldn't mind sitting down and talking to you. Yeah, and uh, it definitely is intimidating, but it's something. I would tell you, just practice too. It uh, it's gonna it's gonna do a world a difference for you. Yeah, uh, I'll be honest.
0: Of- on the way to go and, and knock on a door or before I knock on someone's door on the drive there I'm talking out loud at that that mm-hmm. initial that initial you know hello how are you you know like hey my name's Dan yeah. Johnson I live over here and uh I you know I've been driving by your property and I, I actually looked at it on a map and I was just kind of out of curiosity if you had any people bow hunt it and that's, mm-hmm. you know, so the initial offering isn't me just stuttering, <laughs> hey, uh, uh, hunting your yeah. papa, you know, like, like that. And, uh, um, you know, for the most, uh, for the most part, people are receptive to hearing you at that point. It doesn't mean they're going to give you permission right off the bat, but it allows them to know that, okay, this guy can talk English and that's a good thing.
1: Yep. Yeah, no, exactly. And I got a lot of my practice. From a different avenue when I was in college I was actually a part of the livestock judging team and part of what we did was we had to talk about animals and give reasons to professionals and I spent years talking in a mirror or staring at a notebook talking to myself and that was just how you practice and how you did it so I think that played a huge role in terms of just my my communication skills right. and being able to form sentences that make sense. Yeah, And like you said, when you, when you can talk to somebody and they can understand what you're saying, that's the first, that's the first key to all of it. Yeah. And just being able to practice and do that is, is the first step to it.
0: Absolutely. So what's the next part of this budget hunter thing? Uh, because I want to talk about gear and I want to hear what you have to say about gear because after being a hard what i'm i'm going to put myself in the hardcore category not not from the standpoint of i'm a, i'm a badass and i kill big bucks category but when i say hardcore i mean spending a lot of time and having to budget and focusing on the time that i spend in the field every day chasing animals right and that's yeah, what my main yeah, focus yeah. in in life is, other you know, other than my family. That's what my main focus is. So, um, and I've realized that there's some places I can skimp at, and then there's some places that I won't skimp at. And um, I want to yeah. hear I want to hear what your thoughts are on the whole gear thing.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, uh, my growing up again, I was a, a deer drive, deer pusher guy. So there was no Sent control there was no i didn't care what color camel you had or or what kind of gear you had you just had a, a shotgun or a rifle that shot straight and you could shoot something and hit it and a nice pair of boots to get you through the swamp and whatever uh, bow hunting is obviously a whole different ball game and uh, i've been able to test out a lot of different things and try all different things and there's there's so many different topics to talk about it just in that gear category but like the big things your your camel and your clothing your tree stand your actual equipment that you're using to shoot the animal with um your boots There, all those things are kind of i would call like the biggest stuff over over time just learning in the field or watching videos or listening to podcasts I have the opportunity I drive two hours a day every single day, so I can listen to and watch over time hundreds or thousands of hours of of stuff to learn from, and that's less time I got to spend in the woods screwing up and yeah. uh, and not necessarily having to do it on my own. I would say um, the biggest thing I've found is using the wind direction or. Or not, not putting yourself directly downwind of where that buck's going to be. Now, you, being able to cut the wind or being on the edge of the wind is, is different than directly downwind. When I first started getting serious about bow hunting, never even thought about it. You just went and sat in the stand because you saw deer down here before, and, and that's how it was. And you'd get busted a million times. And not that it was the, the camo you were wearing or how high the tree was or the, how high your stand was, but... You were just blowing your scent right at him, right. And you can put as much scent control spray on. You could use ozone. I've, I think all that stuff helps. But your wind just not blowing at him is going to be the biggest thing. Obviously, as long as your wind's not blowing right at his face, he's not going to smell you. Or if it doesn't swirl, there's a lot of factors that go into it. But yeah. just not being directly downwind of the deer.
0: So what you're saying is so, if you you're learning about the strategy standpoint and putting yourself in better physical locations that some of the uh, you may not need all the bells and whistles and high and high end gear. Correct. Okay. All right.
1: Correct. Your 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 ozone machine, your uh, your ozone closet, your scent eliminator, your your wash stuff all that kind of stuff i now if somebody wants to use all that and they can do all of it that's great more power to you go for it but not that i just like dump beer on me and run out to the woods yeah i I do try to keep things clean but i don't think it is as deep down necessarily you got to spend a thousand bucks to get all of that that stuff to make it happen okay um but in a few years maybe i'll try it and i'll find out that it works great and that's something that i'm going to do forever then yeah but that's that's kind of one of the first things i've i guess the biggest thing that i've seen
0: yeah and it makes you know Um, it obviously it obviously makes a lot of sense where um if you can figure out ways to become a better hunter the gear that you need may not you, you may not need to spend the extra uh like the extra money for the top shelf, if that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yep. Yeah, exactly.
0: So as you so. so as you start to um you know do your research and um you know I, I guess I just ask you this as on a personal uh as a personal question. Where do you put your um your money when it comes to purchasing uh, you know, purchasing hunting equipment, all right? Like, is it in boots? Is, like, yep. where, do you, where do you skimp versus where do you not skimp?
1: I try not to skimp on cameras and collecting data. I think that's important. I know throughout the year, obviously, deer shift, deer move, deer change, but that's, that's how you learn, too. Uh, I've been hunting a farm about a half hour from home here, And when you want to drive out and hunt every single day you're off, a half hour starts to add up every time. Mm -hmm. And for example, this specific property, I've, I've started hunting out there. This would be my fourth season. And over the first two seasons, I would hunt every single day I had and, uh, or that I could get out there. I'd go out there and the whole season long, all the way through December and I'd freeze my butt off and wouldn't see nothing after about, october 15th because where this is it's big farm country with lots of lots of crop ground and then you have these kind of riverbed areas that run through all this ground over time what i found using cameras to watch them and and keep track of everything it seems like as soon as those crops get picked all the big deer move farther into the to the deep woods the deep heavy areas or just find other food So now I don't necessarily have to go sit out there every single day. Let's say past later October, the chances of a big one being out there after that is pretty slim, and that's I've been able to find that by running those cameras, Um, and then scouting new properties. I think it's really important. I've been I've the really cool thing living in Macomb here. I've got shoot probably five thousand acres of public ground within 10 minutes of my house and now over the last few years I've been running cameras to figure out where those deer are at obviously having boots on the ground and being out there and hunting it you're going to learn a lot but if you got other properties you're hunting at where you know there's deer and you don't necessarily know they're they're out here I'm going to put cameras out there and I'm just going to leave them set all year round and that way I can figure out okay yeah there are some big deer that travel through here between this date and this date so that way when the next year rolls around i I know where i can try to go and try to capitalize on that so i would say cameras is a big is a big one
0: so let's Um, let's talk about cameras for a second how do you know how do you determine what is a good camera versus you know maybe you're overpaying for one or underpaying for one
1: yeah yeah you know man i've I've tried a bunch of them. I'll be honest. I've, I've never purchased the two or $300 cameras. I've always bought under one hundred twenty or less. Okay. Let's just, we'll just say that. So you go from your really cheap 20, 30 to $50 cameras. Um, and I don't want to use this to, to bash on any brands or anything, but you get your, your, your $50 wild game camera. and, over using I've I've had um, dozens of them. They might work great for a few months, and then they just stop working, or something happens, or they suck battery life. So I've probably spent too much money on some of those over the years, and I've come to realize, you know, they're just they're not working. They're not doing what they need to do. They're not helping me be successful. Yeah. So I've started stepping up to some of the some of the I would say the entry level Moultrie cameras which seem to be okay I've, I've noticed they're a little grainy but what i've started purchasing more recently is uh browning uh, and i know everybody has different experiences but i feel like i've had a few of them now and picture quality seems good i don't seem to have false triggers and battery life is good and i haven't had one crap on them yet okay. so those are the biggest things for me um I don't necessarily need time-lapse or need a screen on the camera. So I can go out and I can buy a $80, 90 one of those. And from my experience, they've worked well. Yeah. So a lot of that's just been trial and error. And I know you can go out and you can spend gobs of money on on some cameras. But I personally have not had experience with those. Right. now. Again, maybe someday, maybe I'll try them and maybe I'll love them and I'll realize, okay, this is all I need to use. Right. But I think there there's kind of a there's a sweet spot where you might not have a bunch of really cool features, but you've got a camera that works, the battery life lasts, and you get decent pictures. Right. And that's where I, I feel like I've kind of found a sweet spot with those. Yeah. But again, I'm always open for trying new stuff, and I I always try to new. Try to use new things every season just to get a new
0: perspective. I right. Guess. I think uh, one thing that I've always had up up until I'll be honest, I started using Exodus Trail cameras, and they mm-hmm. they, they they work very well. But before that, I was wor- using a hodgepodge of different uh, trail cameras in my lineup. And I guess you could say. And one thing that I noticed is. At the end of the day, all I want is for when I put my SD card in it, maybe I have to format it, but after that, I want it to, I want to turn it on, I want to walk away from it, and I want it to work. Like, that's it. That's all I want my trail camera to do. I just want it to take pictures without all this other mumbo jumbo that has to be done, right? I want to, I don't necessarily need a whole bunch of different settings. I, I just... I'm I'm the I guess I'm kind of a minimalist I do have a couple cell cameras and I know that uh you know there's you know you got to do other things if you want a cell cam but for just a regular trail camera man uh LCD screens are nice I don't even know if I necessarily need one of those unless you know it's 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 nice to know when you're walking to the tree stand and you flip through knowing what's in the area in the past maybe 24 hours but outside of that if I'm just letting it putting it in a, in a area and letting it soak. Uh, and maybe I'm only checking it once or twice when I'm on the farm, man, I, if it just had three pictures, one minute, uh, one, uh, one minute trigger delay and like a really good trigger speed and excellent battery life, man, I, I would, that's all I want.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. I did. I got one comment for it that, that uh, I think is kind of a neat little trick that has helped me. I have a just an old tablet that I actually used all through college. It did everything I needed it to. It's nothing fancy. I'm sure I couldn't edit videos or do anything cool like that on it, but it's small enough that I can literally just put it in my bag with me, and I carry it anytime I'm going hunting. And I can pull a card out. I can pop it in there within a minute. I got the pictures swapped into it. And I always, I got a really nice flash drive that I'll have and I'll just drag and drop everything into that. And I can get into my stand. If let's say I'm going out there just to go hunt, I can get in my stand and spend five minutes cycling through those pictures and seeing where everything's at. Right. And that's been awesome for, for checking properties, especially not properties that I live right next to where I don't have to drive out there, grab a car, drive all the way home. And go oh well shoot it's pointing at the sky or or whatever and you got nothing. Right. I can sit right there and make sure it all works and that's been really nice
0: and handy. Right okay. So we've talked about trail cameras and the fact that you think that if you're gonna like to you data is one of the most important things. So that's why if you're gonna spend your yep. money, you're gonna spend it on a, a decent trail camera, right? And and basically just yep. talking to you, it's like you don't need to spend three hundred dollars two hundred dollars on to get a decent trail camera
1: in my opinion i would say no i don't think you need to i think there's a sweet spot in the middle but again i don't have the experience with those two or three hundred dollars cameras and they might be that much better that they're worth it yeah um and that's something that i could find out in the future but no i think there's a sweet spot i i don't think the real cheap ones are all cut out so what they're supposed to be right and but you can find a find a happy medium in the middle there that's going to do everything you need it to do
0: right right so let me ask you this this is before we get into the next little uh, section here do you feel that in the hunting industry and specifically hunting products that price reflects quality
1: you know that's a really tough question um uh, I would have to say when it comes to some equipment, it's going to make a difference. Um, For example, binoculars, uh, the bow itself, your release. I think there's some equipment that if you want it to work and you want it to be nice, you you should spend an extra buck. Uh, But in my experience, in terms of clothing, I don't think you need to go spend three hundred bucks on a jacket. I I think you can get away with really. If you wanted to, you could get away with a thirty dollar Walmart jacket and be just fine. Um, so, I think there's there's different aspects to that. I would say it all depends on what topic you're talking about. What what genre you're talking about
0: gotcha okay Uh, so what would be the next category that you um that you would put your money towards if you were a hunter where i guess i guess in the category of not skimping if you're gonna put extra money someplace out of your budget where what category is that going to
1: uh i know it's not doesn't cost money but i would say just time 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 is the big thing. Taking every minute you can to scout or just hunt in general is gonna be the biggest thing. And getting getting knowledge for the property, how deer move, how it's set up, that's gonna be the biggest thing. Okay.
0: What about gear? Um, but
1: when it comes to gear, I'm gonna say a good pair of boots is necessary. Yeah. Especially if you're you're doing a lot of scouting and you're doing a lot of ground and pound and moving around. I think a good pair of boots is is worth spending some extra money on. Yeah. I don't think the cheap 30, 40 dollar boots are going to cut it, especially if you spend quite a bit of time out. So I would say a good pair of boots is is definitely necessary.
0: Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Actually, uh I can remember some of the days that I before I upgraded to good boots where i was buying you know a i was using my work boots as my hunting boots right so i had a big steel toe in it and that would get that would get cold and then my my toes would get cold um or going to walmart or some discount store and buying my boots right and then i started making enough money to where i could put more money towards my hunting gear every year and Buying a good pair of boots, whether you're doing a backpacking western hunt, where you're doing a lot of moving, or you're just simply walking from your truck to your tree stand, and set it, whether it's you know a stationary tree stand or or you're a mobile hunter, boots are the first thing that I noticed that changed the game, as far as comfort comfort was concerned. If I'm comfortable, and uh, that makes me happy, and when I'm happy, I can hunt longer and harder.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think, especially on for myself, my feet are the hardest thing for me to control, just in a normal day-to-day basis in terms of temperature. And having the right pair of boots and my feet staying comfortable um, is going to be the most beneficial for the rest of me. Like you said, it's a mindset. You, you're you sitting in 10, 20-degree weather with 20-mile-an-hour winds, Really, as long as your toes aren't frozen, you're probably gonna be fine. Um, yeah, having having the right gloves and a face mask, whatever, all that stuff's gonna help. But not sitting there thinking about your toe freezing off is gonna make you sit there longer and, and sit through it.
0: Right. Okay. So, how do you determine what pair of boots? I mean, because for me, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put my money uh, towards a good pair of boots. But still. There's a difference between, you know, there's there's boots out there that are $500 a pair. There's boots out there that are $100 a pair. There's boots out there that are $50 a pair. How do you determine where to throw your money and, you know, how do you do your research on what to buy?
1: Yeah, so again, with my job. There's obviously I'm not selling a car every single hour of every day. So I've got plenty of time to sit at a computer and and read things. I would tell you Amazon for products that are sold on Amazon is a great place to find honest reviews from people. Um, Not necessarily that you're going to go buy that that product that you're going to buy that boot off Amazon, but you can find hundreds of comments about it to get other people's perspective. And then I think the biggest thing is being able to try them on, um, knowing if it's going to be too tight on the, the front of your toes. I've noticed if something's too tight up front, your toes are going to get cold, they're going to freeze off. So being able to try them on, so some brick and mortar store, if you can get to it to try them, I think is really, really important. But I think the biggest thing is being able to listen to others. And really over the last handful of years, Seeing people especially on instagram talking about them and i think you've got plenty of honest hunters out there that talk about gear that i respect their opinion i realize there's some people that are sponsored by certain companies and obviously they're going to say it's great but i think being able to hear from somebody that's actually been out in the woods and warn them is really beneficial So I would tell you kind of a mixture of those things, reading reviews on Amazon or whatever website you can find, actually trying those on, and then seeing if you can find a peer or someone else that's been in the industry that has used them, that's going to give an honest opinion. Gotcha. I would say those are the biggest things.
0: And I think think that kind of carries over into any category, really right do, yep. your, do your research online Amazon's probably a great place because I think Amazon sells literally everything and yeah. um, and then go ahead from you know make your decision from there and and as, as much as it sucks for the retailer I feel like if I'm going to go to a retail store and try something on it sucks but I think I can find a better price online right and mm-hmm try it on there and go buy it somewhere else. And there's part of me that says that's wrong, but then there's part of me who spends the money that says, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm in the same boat, like on one side, Hey, it's my money. I'm going to spend it how I want the other side. If, if I own that shop or that store, I'd want somebody to spend their money there. And that's where I think there's some products that, that I will only buy in store when it comes to my, my bow stuff. I want to shop local and help out that, that local bow shop. Right. If I was in his boots, I'd want, I'll spend an extra 10, 20% to make sure that it's going towards a family that I know or good people, not necessarily just whatever, some company on Amazon or or wherever else you're going to buy it.
0: So you're, so as much as you, you talk about budgeting, for hunting gear Mm -hmm. you also are willing to pay a little bit higher of a price to shop at a local establishment
1: yeah yep it comes to when it comes to my gear that i'm gonna use to kill that animal i want to i'll be honest i i don't know how to work on a bow i don't i don't have a bow press I don't know how none of that stuff works. So I rely on somebody else to do that for me. Right. And me being able to give them business is obviously keeping their lights on, keeping them going. So I've got no issue doing that. Now I might watch videos and listen to reviews about certain products like sites or rests. But when it comes to purchasing that, I'm just going to go to that local shop and say, Hey, this is what I'm looking for. I appreciate the best deal. And I'm just going to pay whatever they say it is. Because, again, at the end of the day, if I was in their shoes, I'd want me to do the same thing. Right. And I know they're going to treat me right. They're going to set it up. They're going to help me do all that. Because at the end of the day, I don't know how to use it. Don't know how to do that. So I want them to help me with
0: it. Yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. All right. So the next thing that uh, uh, getting back into the products, is there a third category that you're not going to skimp on so we've, we've talked about what boots we've talked about trail cameras what else yep
1: i think you're i know it's been a huge topic as of recently but your arrow
0: and broadhead setup specifically for archery hunting okay now i th- a lot of people they skimp there right they mm-hmm. they they skimp on they probably shoot an arrow that's way underspined right uh, probably yep. i don't i don't want to say a lower quality of arrow but um I, you know i just had a, a conversation on the hunting gear podcast with day six archery and their their arrows aren't cheap but they're very high quality very uh consistent as far as their tolerances are concerned so yep. um explain that explain that category and why you're not skimping on arrows and broadhead setup.
1: Well, when I, when I take a shot at an animal, I want it to be the most ethical way possible. So being razor sharp and accurate is going to be the biggest factors to that. And then in terms of just penetration, how heavy the arrow is, just straight up knockdown power or, torque I guess you'd say it right and in the past when I was younger I had the skinniest lightest arrow there was because I thought it was cool to shoot faster I didn't know any different but now over time and especially at my local shop they they've kind of explained everything to me and and broke it all down and everybody's heard it now a million times but I think having the right broadhead on there and i there's plenty of options to pick from but that's going to be the one of the most important things and then like you said uh, a little stiffer arrow a little bit heavier to once you get accurate with it and you you can get it dialed in you know where you're going to hit as long as that arrow doesn't hit something else and lands where you want it to hit you know it's going to just blow right through there
0: gotcha out of out of curiosity what is your arrow and broadhead setup
1: I got gold tip 400 I think uh, is what those are and then I have the slick trick fixed blades okay and those were to be honest those were recommended by my my local place here and uh, I think they're really good people they're very big hunters as well and uh, I've had bad experience with expandables, and I decided I didn't want to do that anymore. So they recommended these, and uh, I made a a decent shot this last fall on a buck, and that slick trick blew a hole right through him And I could, it was like in slow motion as he was running away. I could see blood just shooting out the sides on both sides. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, there's plenty of broadheads out there. that are going to do the same thing, but I, from my experience now, and I, I know I'm going to stick with those because I've had had a good experience with them.
0: Yeah, yeah, makes sense. And if you're confident in your equipment, then it's a no brainer to continue using that. If you're the kind of guy who likes to stick with what you know, stick stick with what works and not necessarily bounce around from, uh, you know, product to product. Mm-hmm. Right all right so arrow and broadhead setup um let's see here i want to talk now about places where you do skimp and i have a feeling that the the gear and the camo is one of them and maybe i'm wrong because you said something earlier about if you put yourself in the right position you may not need to worry about the camo pattern and the clothing part of it
1: yeah yeah you know I think being comfortable is number one. So uh, windproof, insulated, depending on the time of year, that's important. When it comes to the actual pattern or the brand that's stitched on the chest of the the jacket or those pants or whatever, I don't, in my opinion, I don't think it's necessarily as big deal. A deer doesn't care. Um, As long as you're not moving, they don't catch you in the tree or on the ground, you're going to be safe um i've watched so many videos about deer's eyesight and studies and all sorts of stuff and and i think there's some camo patterns that might help a little bit but i don't know if you necessarily need to go spend a whole bunch of money to get that for example this this buck that i shot this last fall i was sitting on the ground on the edge of a hay field this an alfalfa field on a stool and uh, he came in to 15 yards shot him and he never had a clue I was there uh, obviously there was a lot of things that went into that but I don't I honestly don't think it mattered what color clothing I had on or what brand I was wearing or how much they cost he didn't, didn't know I was there didn't care, didn't see me um, it didn't make a whole lot of difference Yeah. so I think the the clothing being comfortable is the biggest thing um, make sure it's comfortable. So a uh, the twenty dollar off-brand Carhartt camo jacket at, at Walmart might might not work. You might want to spend a few bucks more, but you can get decent clothing for that. Call it forty to sixty bucks, forty to seventy bucks for nice jackets, nice pants that are gonna do everything almost the same as some of those real high-dollar
0: clothing. So. are are you, are you saying that you look outside of the hunting industry for your clothing?
1: Not necessarily. I think I'm a big shopper. I'm I'm constantly just watching stuff and, and seeing what's going on, but being able to buy things on sale is number one and not necessarily buying the name brand. So for example, some gear that I've, Clothing specifically that I've been using the last few years that haven't haven't had an issue with and have been good is actually Midway USA name brand clothes. Um, You can get that stuff for, for a really good deal. Different times of the year, they do different sales. And it's comfortable. It fits well. It does everything it's supposed to do and it's a third the cost of some of that big name brand stuff.
0: And what do they have for a camo pattern like licensed Mossy Oak and Realtree?
1: Um I I like Realtree. I've always worn Realtree, so everything I have is Realtree. Um that's just what I've used.
0: Okay. So the the Mid-U, the Midway USA camo or the 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 clothing that they sell has Realtree on it. Yep. Okay. Yeah,
1: it's all real free pattern.
0: Gotcha. They've okay.
1: got a whole lineup of hunting clothes.
0: Yeah. What do you? Th- what do you? What are your thoughts about solid colors? And not even having um, to wear a specific camo pattern.
1: Yeah. You know, I think I would still rather wear something camo just to break up edging. I guess you could say it um, something that's got a different sort of patterns branches whatever on it just to break it up a little i don't know if i was going to spend spend the money i'd just spend an extra buck or two to get that camel but i know for years shoot people wore plaid plaid jackets out everywhere and they shot plenty of deer and yeah i'm sure it could be done um but i yeah i think the position where you're at and where that deer's at um, it might not matter if you got camel on it or not so yeah but in, in my opinion, I'll I'll spend an extra buck or two just to have that camel pattern.
0: Yeah. That's one thing that I've kind of noticed over the years, obviously. I, you know, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to say that, you know, the deer don't care what the camel pattern is. Uh, you know, there may be some scientific research that goes into specific, uh, specific camel patterns. But I think if you put yourself in the right position, like you said earlier, and stay still, I think that yep. your camel pattern has is is almost there for a your a just in case, right? Yeah, a just in case moments. Because I've been wearing camel patterns where deer have walked right by me in the same scenario. Like ten minutes later, a buck just decided to look up in the air right at me, and and then split. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I honestly, in, in my personal opinion, I think camel, the camel pattern per se has less to do with it than any, than let's just say the garment itself, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. I would right? agree. Right. Yeah. I think the biggest thing deer are going to pick up is, is silhouette, is right. the, the edging, the, the thing moving, that's what they see. They don't see, in my opinion, they don't see what Camel that is they just see like oh there's this big thing shifting and up in the tree that's what they're going to catch
0: okay all right so i mean are you still working you know because right now the whole thing is layering right you got to have your base layers and you got to have yep. your insulation then you got to have your shell um are you still doing that or do you do something different
1: yeah i still do that so I probably look a little silly when I'm going out to the woods, but I get all my long johns on decent pair of socks and a pair of sandals. And that's what I, I jump in my car with and I got all my gear in, in the trunk of my car and I, I get might get a little cold when I first get out of the car and get dressed up, but I can get on get my layers on. I always, especially when it's colder, I've obviously got a jacket, but I'll wait to put that on and, uh, I'll actually just kind of slide it through my, my backpack strap uh, on my chest and so that way I'm not getting too hot getting out to the stand and uh, get that on once I get comfortable and get cooled down just a little bit. So um, yeah, I'm still layering for sure. I don't think you need to spend a gob of money on, on those undergarments. I've I've got plenty of decent stuff at Walmart for 10, 15 bucks that I think done just fine Uh, I've never never froze haven't haven't gotten that cold so I guess that that would be one spot where you wouldn't necessarily need to go out and spend 60 70
0: bucks on on an underlayer. gotcha man that's you're lucky then because I've I noticed a huge difference when I started using merino wool base layers right I I felt Mm -hmm. like I didn't get cold as much when I made that switch from you know cotton hooded sweatshirts to Uh, you know even just like just layering in general not necessarily a specific material but then i really noticed it when i would walk to my tree stand in merino and be soaking wet especially when i'm carrying a running gun set up on my back and then stopping and then i'd be dry in you know 10 minutes right and then i can start throwing my other layers on you know to prevent me from getting getting that that chill right so um so you don't, do you not get cold in general as, as easy, or are you not hunting in colder temperatures?
1: No, I, uh, well, I grew up in Wisconsin. I grew up chasing coyotes with all the old farmers running around with dogs and wearing a t-shirt. So I, I guess the cold doesn't, doesn't bother me a ton. Like we talked earlier, my, my feet are the biggest thing yeah. as long as my feet aren't cold the rest of me is going to be fine. Um, so I, I guess it doesn't affect me as much.
0: Gotcha. All right. What is the next category that you're going to skimp on?
1: Um, I have not spent tons of money on tree stands. Okay. Um, uh, I'm not going a mile back in a property or two miles back in a property. I there's nowhere nearby to me that that that's happening so i don't necessarily need a ultra lightweight tree stand gotcha i'm okay i'm okay carrying a 15 20 pound stand and a set of sticks to wherever i need to go so that's something i haven't spent gobs of money on that just because i haven't necessarily needed to if i had it that might be fine but man i can get a pretty decent tree stand for 40 50 bucks on sale and and run with that and actually kind of as part of that i'm i always keep an eye on buy sell trade facebook buy sell trade and three years ago there was a gentleman that lived in in uh, around macomb here that had back surgery so he couldn't, couldn't deer hunt anymore and he was selling some equipment i was able to buy three full tree stand sets for 40 bucks and I was I I saw the guy post it or within five minutes I had sent him a message I went and picked it up later that day and there's stuff like that that happens all the time I'm sure oh yeah Um, unfortunate unfortunately he couldn't get out in the stand anymore he obviously didn't know anybody that wanted him and he just wanted it out of his garage so I'm sure that scenario is happening all the time to where you can get you can get equipment dirt cheap and, and make it work. Now, it'd be nice if that stuff was a little bit lighter, but at the end of the day, it's not going to kill me.
0: Right. Well, and, and I think you mentioned one big thing is if you're okay with not having the brand new gear and equipment, there are forums, yep. there's the Facebook Marketplace, there's, you know, your your friend's just decided they they want to upgrade and you take what they they have there are definitely opportunities out there for a guy to find uh cheap you know quality equipment at a lower price that's that's barely used and i think the one thing is bows i mean you know i know guys who buy a brand new bow every single year and then there's not a gigantic market out there for you know old models of bows So I would say that they, you know, they sell them and a guy could buy a bow that's only been used half a year, six months, maybe for, Mm -hmm. you know, half the price of what it was six months previous.
1: Yep. Yeah. And I I would agree with you a hundred percent. I'm, I'm still using the same bow I got when I was 14, 15 years old. As long as you maintain that equipment, you keep it tuned Again, I take it to a shop to make sure everything's straight just because I don't know what I'm doing. Um, that's the most important thing. I don't think you necessarily need to have that latest year model. Um, but like you said, you can get great deals on that stuff that's going to do everything almost exactly the same. and it, It's going to still kill that deer, and that's all that matters. Yeah.
0: What, out of curiosity, what bow are you shooting?
1: I have a Hoyt Tech
0: a Hoyt laser tech and what year was that manufactured?
1: Oh, well, I'm 27. Now I got that bow when I was 14, 15. So
0: 13 years ago.
1: Oh yeah. A while ago. Wow.
0: There you go. uh, I, every
1: year I try every year. I try to buy one or two bigger pieces of equipment. This is part of my budgeting kind of thing. I try to buy one or two bigger pieces of equipment to, upgrade whatever i got so this last year i got a whole new arrow set up i got a new quiver this year i got a new rest new stabilizer uh, new strings, and those are all things that you don't have to go out and buy that brand new bow or deck out everything on this used bow you've you found you can do all that kind of stuff in, in stages
0: right Right. So, uh, do you have any other categories where you definitely skimp on, or you, or you just straight up pass on?
1: Uh, no. I guess I don't. I haven't done any of the ozone stuff. Yeah. So that that's one thing I haven't jumped on that train. So. I couldn't
0: tell you there, but most I've most people know I'm I'm everything. definitely a huge fan of ozone, and not, and not even just yeah. in the, you know, in the tree, but all the stuff it does outside of the tree too. I'm, you know, I'm definitely a a sucker for you know ozonic specifically, so in uh, in mm-hmm. this the the cloths that they make as well. But I've noticed that. You know, if the house starts to stink because a kid leaves a sippy cup opened and it opens up or it starts to stink of rotten milk, I'll throw the ozone machine in that room for you know however many minutes, and and that smell goes away. So, I'm I'm definitely getting my money out of it.
1: Yeah, and uh, so it's funny you were talking about that. I, like I said, I haven't haven't used it at all in the past, but I actually just bought a uh the room clean uh, scent crusher was doing a, a, a sale on it right now yeah free shipping whatever so i was like you know what for 40 bucks i'll give it a shot and just see and right now i'm just going to run that in the basement room that's got all my hunting gear i don't know if it's going to make a difference don't know anything but i figured you know what for 40 bucks um, it's at least throwing it in there and if i want to clean like you said you got a room that stinky dirty diapers or whatever I can just throw that in anywhere I want. So that is, I've spent $40 to, to see if that's going to make a difference.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, you make a lot of good points, uh, in this episode. Um, any other tips or tricks or ideas about budgeting for hunting equipment that you'd like to share with us?
1: You know, I think it's, it's a little off topic, but making sure you're on the same page with your partner or if you got you got a husband or a wife that that's in it i'll (laughs) i spend money on stuff to make sure my wife's happy (laughs) if that makes any sense this this morning i'm i'm taping off edging in our basement because she wants the basement painted and you know what i'm going to paint the basement um so uh, because she allows me the opportunity in the fall or or Summertime when I'm scouting that I can get out of the house and go run around and, and do dumb stuff on my own to where um, spend spend some time and money at, at home with your significant other to, to make sure you got everything straight and make sure they're happy
0: yeah i think that's the biggest thing you might have to put some money in that budget to take your wife out for uh, a couple uh nice dinners or uh maybe buy a babysitter for her a couple days while you're out grinding during the hunting hunting season yeah no i would agree with you 100 (laughs) well i tell you what tj man i really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and uh chit chat with us on on this episode and uh man thanks for your time and good luck this upcoming season
1: thanks man i really i appreciate you reaching out to me and uh, one thing too i kind of want to reach out to everybody that's in the front lines of this covid stuff right now and uh, thank everybody that's dealing with it and hope we all can get through this and uh, good luck to everybody this fall as well
0: amen and there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another Nine Finger Chronicles podcast in the books. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. We are talking about Ozonix, Wasp, Lone Wolf, The Average Conservationist, and Vortex Optics. Uh, all of these companies make really awesome products, and they are participants in the culture, like I've mentioned earlier, right? These guys are hunters, they are fishermen, they are outdoorsmen, and uh, they support conservation efforts as well. So go ahead and uh, look into those brands. On top of that, please go and subscribe to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. It's very easy. All you have to do is go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcast and search nine finger chronicles, and then subscribe to it. Very easy. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook. Other than that, I hope everybody is dealing with this quarantine as, I don't know, as easy as possible, right? It's springtime. If you get the opportunity, go for a walk, go outside, clear your head, go find some mushrooms, go look at dirt in the woods anything to get you outside and uh, have a good day and we'll definitely talk to you next week